This morning's scripture reading is Luke chapter 2, verse 15 to 21, and is found on page 1027 to 1028 in your pew Bibles. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, David. One of these days we'll sit down and talk about Christology. I don't know what it is. We're here looking at Luke, and the story is unfolding before our eyes. This morning's reading, at first glance, looks rather boring and tedious. We've seen it all before. We've heard it all before. How can there be anything of interest said in this story? But as all things biblical, it's in there for a reason. So let's remind ourselves of the context, because that's very important so far. So Luke wrote the gospel around 80-85 AD, and it was to a reasonably well-to-do Gentile audience thinking that their missionary expansion amid an increasingly hostile local issue that was happening in the church, but also at the external things that were happening on the outside. And one of the key issues is how Luke is dealing with Gentile Christians and how can these Gentile Christians trust God's promises now that the holy city and the temple have been destroyed? How can such a God be worth following? So the purpose of the narrative in Luke and Acts later on is to demonstrate that God, through Jesus, is not only faithful to the promises made to Israel, but in an unexpected way, the gospel message is more potent because God's salvic plan now includes tax collectors, the sick, the poor, Samaritans, Gentiles, and all others who repent of their initial rejection of Jesus Christ's chosen one. So Luke's tracing of ancestry and miraculous birth, they all point to the fact that Israel is now reconstituted and the continuity exists between the old law and this new lasting covenant that is about to be unfolded. And this is the beginning of the story, Jesus' birth. The imagery we hear about as Luke proclaims around the Davidic Messiah, is that he will come and he will bring peace. 
And this peace comes in the form of a baby wrapped in cloth in a lowly manger. He will bring peace to the world. And this is in contrast, of course, to the empire under Caesar Augustus, who was considered to be the Roman inaugurator of peace in his time and rule in the empire some 70 years previous. But his stories of his peace kept coming. Augustus Caesar, his peace has come, his peace has come. But Luke is stating now that unlike the peace that he brings, Christ's peace is going to last forever. Jesus' birth in a stable environment has meaning. And when Jesus, the ruler of heaven and earth, comes to earth, he's born in a stable. A symbol of provision. Because what do animals in a stable provide? Why were they kept? Well, they provided wool, milk, food for those dependent on them. And Jesus, although born in lowly circumstances, is the one who will later provide for the hungry and the hungry of humanity. And before his death on the cross, we're reminded later on in Luke that a final meal is also had in an inn. But this time the meal is shared and will provide the basis of Christ's continued servanthood and his continued provision to his people. The food that Christ offered obviously supports not only physical hunger, but also spiritual needs as well. So Luke is beginning to set one of the themes that will run throughout the gospel. Jesus has come to save all who realize their need of him. Not only is Christ born to a virgin nobody, we found out about that at Christmas Eve, but the first people to hear the news of this momentous birth are also a group of nobodies. Shepherds on a hill watching their sheep by night. Now the shepherds were probably several miles away from Bethlehem in the Judean wilderness, but they obeyed and they went looking for Jesus in the dark, leaving their flocks behind, we're told. And the word found in verse 16 means found after a search. So it must have taken some considerable time to find Mary and Joseph and the baby. But they did search, and they searched until they found Jesus. They heard the word of God, and they obeyed. They wanted to see whether what they had been told was true, and it took time and effort to find Jesus, but it was important to them, and they did find him. And just as we heard about Mary the ordinary, who was to become the extraordinary, here the theme continues with the shepherds. The ordinary ones are the ones that God sends his angels to in order to proclaim the coming of the Savior. So shepherding was a fairly unskilled job in the first century. Even young boys could tend sheep and it was a good thing because thousands of shepherds were needed because some commentators estimate that in the region of 250,000 sheep were sacrificed at the annual Passover feast in Jerusalem. Therefore, lots of shepherding to keep watch over flocks at night were required. Most shepherds at the time were not held in high regard. So before introducing um, that kind of story, we can remember that in the Old Testament, in Genesis 46, before introducing his brothers to Pharaoh, Joseph, the vice pharaoh of Egypt, advised them, don't tell them that you're shepherds because shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. And in 1 Samuel 17, the shepherd boy David rebuked his older brothers for not having the courage to fight Goliath, the giant who was taunting their army. But David's brother Eliab angrily snapped at him and said, go back to tending your scrawny flock of sheep. 
you don't belong here. So shepherds weren't really the best people to share such wonderful words with, yet on that first Christmas, God chose to announce the birth of his son to a handful of these night watchmen huddled around a campfire outside Bethlehem. And what a boost it must have been to that shepherd's sense of self-worth to be selected by God as the first to hear about the baby Jesus. Maybe they weren't significant to the world, but they were significant to God who had singled them out for a special revelation. God chose these shepherds to be the first human witnesses to tell others that the prophecy had been fulfilled. The angels had appeared and the Messiah had been born. And they didn't need to go on an evangelism course. Their testimony was spontaneous. The shepherds spoke from their hearts and their words connected with the deepest needs of others. Of course, Luke is also tracing back that not only were shepherds not the best people to talk about, but they actually had a special place in the memories of people in, from Israel. Shepherds were important in their history because David himself was a shepherd. But unlike Caesar Augustus, while Jesus brings peace, the message that the, self, uh, the, message that the shepherds are bringing is that this Jesus brings peace, but he also brings salvation. And Jesus, later on in Luke's gospel, we will know, is to bring salvation to those who are broken because Christ is bringing restoration and wholeness. For those alienated because of sin, Christ is bringing rescue. Jesus knows sinners because he sat with them. He understands their needs because he ate with them and he included them in his plan of salvation. So when the shepherds hear the news and the message, they respond quickly to the birth and they tell everyone, including Joseph and Mary, about this good news, which complements what the angel Gabriel told Zachariah and Mary herself. And it seems the news is so overwhelming that Mary herself is not sure what does this mean. So she needs to ponder it in her heart. Mary does what is good. She contemplates. And she's a model for good discipleship. Her journey to faith is slow and methodical. And the good news given to the shepherds in Luke's narrative is that the Savior is now present with sinners. He saves us from our self-destructive self and he restores us to the community which is one of peace. So maybe you feel rather ordinary yourself today. And behind the festivities, maybe you secretly feel rather self-conscious, maybe insecure. But what we've learned on Christmas Eve and what we've learned today is that God delights in the ordinary. So most counselors or psychotherapists that I know of today will advise us to tell everybody to develop your self-worth. They insist you are important. There's no one like you. You have a unique set of fingerprints. You're special. Parents are instructed to encourage their children. You can do anything that you set your mind to. You can be anything that you want to be. Because you're somebody. And that positive reinforcement is very important. And it's very good. But sometimes it's not realistic. 
If Tom O'Brien's mother told him that he was going to be a monster rugby player and play in the World Cup someday, it's a great dream. But I have two left feet, so it's unlikely to happen. So here's the unpleasant truth. Apart from God, not many other people think that I'm that important. I actually probably don't matter that much at all. I'm one of six billion people temporarily alive on this planet. I may live to 80 or 90 years of age, and then I might die, and my body will return to the dust. And who's going to notice when I'm gone? The few who do love me will weep at my funeral, I hope. They'll say, what a nice person he was. I also hope. And then they'll go off into the church hall and eat vegetarian sandwiches. Bleak, isn't it? One hundred years from now, chances are that my name will not be spoken of by many people on this earth. And in James 4:14, 4, the Bible asks, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. But when Christ is born to us, we have a divine calling, an eternal purpose. He not only forgives our sins through his atoning sacrifice on the cross, but he also transforms us from being nobodies into being children of the creator of the universe. 1 John 3, 1 says, How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. This is the message the shepherds first heard. We may not be much value on our own. The shepherds may not have had much value. But that's why Jesus said that apart from me, you can do nothing. But when Christ is born in us, we become part of the body of Christ. We have eternal significance because we've been adopted into the family of God. And we've been entrusted with the crucial assignment of taking that gospel into the world. We become somebody important, not because of who we are, but because of whom we belong to. So one of the joys of Christmas is the reminder that like those first century shepherds, we matter to the God of the universe. Simon Peter stated it this way, he said, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into this marvelous light. To God, you are somebody, even if in this world we feel like we're nobody. Luke's narrative in the birth in a stable and the witness of the shepherds, even to Mary and Joseph, is so amazing that even though the angel had appeared to Mary nine months earlier, she was still pondering the immense message that this was all happening. What was it and what does it mean? And I wonder this morning how often we recall and ponder the gospel message of hope and salvation that we've been given. Today reminds us of the value of the message. 
Today reminds us that as we enter into 2024, maybe now is a good time to ponder where God is in your life. What is it that the message of salvation brings to you this morning that is new and fresh? And what things do we need to do to be energetic like the shepherds and tell others of the good news of the Savior Jesus Christ? Let's pray.